So we'll get to Ben Cates in about five minutes here in the fast lane, but we've touched on the Patrick Mahomes situation, less from the like Kansas City Chiefs angle and what it means and more from the uh, you know life perspective side of things because you know, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes upset that the offside was called, even though it was obvious, on Kadarius Toney. And, uh, you know, they're not Grayson Allen at Duke where they've uh, committed so many infractions that people don't take it seriously when they ask for an apology. Uh, but, you know, I mean, look, we all know these people in life where they keep making mistakes and keep wanting you to believe the apology. And at some point, you just don't do it. Um, but this is not the Chiefs. This is not Mahomes. Um, and I get it. Heat of the moment, battle, frustration. Uh, frankly, I think you need to find a way to let it out. Um, you know, you, you, you'll find it in golf a lot of times. Trey, you know, obviously, I know we're both NASCAR fans. And if you listen to scanners of drivers, what's said during the race or even in the immediate aftermath of the race when confrontations occur, either with the cars on the racetrack or on pit road, um, you get that type of emotion and frustration. Whereas a day or two afterwards, when you know cooler heads prevail, as they say, things can look, sound, and come across much differently. Speaking of NASCAR, by the way, more in the story of NASCAR and the closing of the Winston Cup Museum in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Oh, it's getting messy. So we try to clean things up for you in that regard here in the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. ITG Brands which is basically the brand that now has the rights to Winston. They have filed a motion this past Friday requesting that a North Carolina business court judge will will find Will Spencer, the operator of the museum, guilty of criminal and civil contempt for reposting a YouTube video covering the museum's pending demise, claiming it is, quote, disparaging and defamatory, end quote. Um, Again, I don't pretend to be a legal expert, nor did I stay at a chain hotel last night. Um, But I just find this very frustrating. Um, I mean, look, this museum clearly had such little recognition that outside of the the NASCAR fan base and Winston fan base, they didn't have enough people visiting it regularly or pledging donations to support the museum to actually keep it open. And yes, it's kind of hard going head-to-head with the NASCAR Hall of Fame, which also chronicles the era of Winston in the sport as well as other sponsors and other eras. Um, and you're, you know, it's a niche when the niche is part of a greater coverage at a much more well-funded museum an hour and change south of Winston-Salem, the NASCAR Museum down in Charlotte, North Carolina. But it, it's, it's amazing because my bigger question is, why in the world does this brand's company, ITG, really even care about that? They've gotten it shut down. Um, you can talk about it being defamatory or not, but this is almost to me at least as an outsider with you know minimal knowledge of these business entities and what may or may not have been said you're creating more circumstances and attention around the closure of the Winston Cup Museum than you would have ju- done by just letting it go off as peacefully as it has been because inevitably you would have gotten what you wanted by the closure of the museum. I, I don't pretend to know business. I understand when you have a lot of the immortal words of Kenny Powers. Dollar, dollar, bills, y'all. You can put it towards litigation in a more frivolous manner, but then again, you're talking about a large corporation and ITG brands. Uh, very rarely do big corporations really look to get rid of money, they more try to squeeze and protect it as much as possible. Number four. Liberty University adding a commitment from Andrew Johnson, a six foot four inch, 320 pound offensive lineman who began his career at Oregon State, currently attends San Diego Mesa College, and is originally from California. 
Um, here's some things to keep in context. One, he's at San Diego Mesa College. I don't know Andrew Johnson the way that the folks at aseofred.com would know him. And we're hoping to connect with one of their contributors who works for the Flames Rising Collective as well, Chad Hassan. Hopeful that we will be able to speak with him tomorrow in the fast lane. But, so he'll know more about the background of Johnson. Um, so I don't know, you know, how he went from Oregon State to San Diego Mesa College. Um, but here are things to note. Oregon State, Kansas, and New Mexico State. Kansas with Lance Leopold, New Mexico State with Jerry Kill, and Oregon State at the time with Jonathan Smith, who's now at Michigan State. What do they all have in common? They've been able to take players with good athletic traits, identify good football players, and then find a path to develop them. So for Liberty to go after an offensive lineman, which they're coveted in general in the portal, and to have an alignment with legit size, six foot four, three twenty. Again, let's say he's actually six foot three, three ten. You can still do a lot to build a player like that up. And you've got a guy that has been coveted by other developmental programs. Smith at Oregon State checks the box. He's now at Michigan State. Leopold at Kansas. Jerry Kill at New Mexico State as well. We've seen what they've done to Liberty, pushing them over the last couple of years as an independent last year in Conference USA team this year. That's a good sign for Liberty that you're beating out those type of programs, or at least you're identifying a player similar to those programs. There may be some baggage that Johnson needs to work through at Liberty. I don't know and can't pretend to add that particular element. But I like the addition from a just raw football evaluation standpoint for the Liberty Flames. Number three. Harvard transfer Tyler Neville joining Chris Tyree, the wide receiver for Notre Dame, also a running back, and committing to the Virginia Cavaliers. Um, Among the players, by the way, that have committed to the Virginia Cavaliers, those two on the offensive side of the ball. Also, uh, as we mentioned with JerryRatcliffe.com founder Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe yesterday, Akron outside linebacker who could also play some defensive back depending on the formation. Corey Thomas Jr., who is originally from Pittsburgh, uh, 6'4", 215 for him. The measurables look great for Virginia. Neville, of course, is from Williamsburg. He went to Lafayette. More on them momentarily with Ben Cates of NewsAdvance.com as Lafayette lost to LCA in the state title game. But these are all players that fit the height, weight, speed profile. Chris Tyree as well fits that, the transfer that came in from Notre Dame to UVA. I I love this if I'm Virginia in terms of the skill position players that have been brought in. It still does not answer questions on the offensive line. It still does not give me great concern that Virginia knows what to do with these type of players. However, this is still something for Virginia where it makes quite a bit of sense from a schematic perspective. And who knows, maybe these are pieces that can get this roster to bowl eligibility, which is a low but highly reasonable goal for Virginia football next year. Number two. Among the nuggets that have come out when it comes to quarterbacks in college football, three with ties to the ACC. In fact, all three potentially with ties to the triangle down in North Carolina. To the shock of nobody, Drake May declaring for the NFL draft when we signed off yesterday. Since then, it's come out he will not participate in their bowl game against West Virginia. No real surprise at that decision. Riley Leonard committing to Notre Dame today officially. That is the worst kept secret in the transfer portal in college football. Almost everyone saw this one coming. And then odds makers have instilled Grayson McCall, the man whose most famous slogan is I piss teal, potentially going to NC State. Hopefully he does not urinate red. That might necessitate immediate medical conditions and attention. 
but McCall now a minus one fifty betting favorite according to places where you can get down on this. I will take go to these. NC State. Can I add something to take these with a grain of salt? Because they also, as I saw, had Dante Moore as the favorite to go to Michigan State, where Aiden Childs is also the favorite to go to Michigan State, and both those guys are in the same class. So it makes zero sense for both of them to go to the same school with the same amount of, like, the, on the same time. Yeah, this is a site that our guy Gil Alexander from the Beating the Book podcast would know. But he's been very with, connected to it. The site is synonymous with Wager on the internet. But anyway, is there not a more perfect personality fit, Trey, than Grayson McCall at NC State? I mean, he goes from the Redneck Riviera to what you could argue is the Redneck School of the ACC and NC State. And I say that in full endearment because I love the passion of NC State fans. And in my perfect world, NC State, West Virginia, and Virginia Tech would all be in the same conference because they'd all have that similar level of passion, salt of the earth. I'm being complimentary here. Fan support that goes out. He is also connected to UCF, and wouldn't Grayson McCall and Gus Malzahn just be a perfect pairing, too? From a football standpoint, oh yeah, it'd be a very good pairing. And a personality standpoint. Yeah, Gus Malzahn is a little bit of a character himself, Trey. So, uh, yeah, but he would fit, you know, with Dave Doran, and I would be a really good pickup for them, but again, it would be a one-year rental, and it had mixed results last year with Brandon Armstrong. Do they want to try it again? Because, you know, they did lose their quote-unquote future project in MJ Moore. So interesting dynamic. You could maybe do something like uh, what Dante Moore assumed, speaking of Dante Moore, which is he might go to, like, let's say Michigan and sit behind J.J. McCarthy for a year. So maybe they pick up another guy, two quarterbacks where, uh, you know, a guy with, you know, a couple years left, you know, and develop and they have a future plan as well. So it'll be interesting to see the long term for NC State. So I, I like you, I'm very curious to see that. Um, just again, selfishly, I'd like Grace and McCall to go to NC State because they were a really good program this year and they really did not have stability at the quarterback position. But McCall has a personality that seems to fit with that area and a temperament that would make a lot of sense as well with NC State. Speaking of NC State Tech and UVA. And number one on the Fast Five at Five-ish. Or rather, speaking of NC State, Virginia Tech, and West Virginia, uh, we mentioned the West Virginia angle. They get North Carolina without Grayson McCall. Virginia Tech, though, selling out their allotment of military bowl tickets. Trey, on the scale of one to 10, how surprised are you by this? Not much. Why? Because... Virginia Tech will always be an attractive bowl uh, place because they will always sell tickets. So, Well, here's the other and thing. And it's also close. It's close. And here's the other thing. I would expect that Tulane's fans, wherever they are, may not be itching to leave New Orleans in the cozy confines down there to Annapolis in late November or late December for a team that's in transition. Trey, this game right now is starting to feel to me like one that, again, evokes bad memories for you, but Virginia Tech's last bowl game, when they played a Maryland team and Virginia Tech had a coaching staff in transition, an interim coach whose role was undefined, although everyone kind of knew J.C. Price would stick around. The interim coach for Tulane is not sticking around. He's going to go with Willie Fritz to Houston. Actually, he's not, but he's not also going to coach the team. That that that, that was announced today. Sorry to interrupt the, no, about the OC. No, Trey, that's why you're here to fill us in on those blanks. So the, the, the confusion around the leadership. He might still Tulane. be the interim coach, but I don't know. But I know he's not going with Willie Fritz to Tulane. It's, it's just a mess. But, but Trey, exactly. That gets to the bigger point. 
Tech has sold out their allotment of bowl games, and I easily believe they would gobble up more tickets that might be available in the secondary market for Tulane fans that want to put them up there. Because to their ever-loving credit, while it's cold in Annapolis in December, if you've ever been to Blacksburg in November or December... It's so much fun! Oh, you sound like someone who knows from experience. You may or may not have lived there for four years. Our guy... So, by the way, total side note on, on Blacksburg in that time of year and why Blacksburg... So, Virginia Tech it's fans are not going to be intimidated. Virginia, It is beautiful aesthetically, but not feeling-wise. Virginia Tech fans are not going to be intimidated by the weather in Annapolis. They're just glad to get back to a bowl game where they believe they actually have a chance to celebrate something with their football team outside of the last couple times when they had to basically buy a game against Marshall to get bowl eligible. There's COVID, and then, of course, there's 2021 with the coaching staff change. This is a celebratory occasion for Virginia Tech football. Even if you question how much the coaching staff they've been preparing for this game, I question it as well. I actually think they'll probably have about a normal game week's worth of prep because I think they'll probably start focusing more on Tulane as a staff next Thursday once they get through next Wednesday's early national signing day. But for Virginia Tech, this is a good thing for them that their fans are there. They can get that extra element of boost and support, and that's a pretty cool thing for them. And there is your Fast Five at Five-ish. So we're going to effort to get Ben Cates on. We're going to flip things around here in the Fast Lane. We are going to angle to get him on around 545 today in the Fast Lane, and we're going to move your feedback up right now because there's been a number of points that have been brought up when it comes to different topics that we've covered. And we welcome your feedback, please, Keep it coming. Fast Lane Ed Lane on our social media platforms. Got this nugget from our guy, Michael Lombardi of the Daily Coach, the three-time Super Bowl winning NFL executive, and he mentioned that he was going to tweet this out, and it's it's out there now as well. For the Chiefs to bitch about offside being called on that play with Kadarius Toney, they should be thankful that Chris Jones is never called, even though his head is in the neutral zone on every snap. And by the way, I'm going to just go ahead and do this right now, but I have just retweeted that to our social media platforms because there's a great photo of Chris Jones's arms literally into the neutral zone, lined up in the neutral zone against Buffalo. And his head is literally right parallel with the football that's about to be snapped. That is the definition of neutral zone infraction, and the Chiefs have gotten away with that for years. So it only speaks to the greater point of when you're talking about subjectivity and being upset at subjective calls, even though some of them are clear, cut, and dry, there's a lot of irony to this situation with the Kansas City Chiefs. Again, it doesn't it doesn't underscore the fact or take away from the fact that I actually admire the Chiefs for kind of backing off their complaints to the NFL. And I'm okay with the NFL finding Mahomes and Andy Reid. I'm pretty sure they can pay the $10,000 fine or whatever the customary amount is in this day and age. But... It is rather ironic that a franchise that's up known for doing this is complaining about something else. So you've got that development that's popped up. There are other parts that have come out when it comes to these type of stories in the world of college sports and in the world of the NFL. And we appreciate the feedback that you've shared on that as well. One of them has come in here, Trey, and we'll stick with the football theme right now. So I bumped into a guy's name's Daryl. And he asked these two questions. How much of the Liberty Flames' success over this past year is due to the roster Hugh Freeze left Jamie Chabwell, and how much of it is due to a very weak schedule? Because Daryl, adding on that he believes that both of those are big factors in the Flames' success in getting to a New Year's Six Bowl. So Trey, 
I don't even think this is a doubtful thing right now from Daryl's point. The the roster Hugh Freeze left Jamie Chadwell. There was 50% roster turnover. And even though Caden Salter stuck around and couldn't really transfer, he was not the Caden Salter that we've seen this year, who's got some room to mature, but has made a lot of strides in that particular element. The defense was basically gutted by the transfer portal, and it was an entirely new offensive system. So I don't do much of that. Now, Hugh Free set up Liberty as an attractive program and one that has been well-received in terms of Conference USA, buy-in, fan support, resources, uh, everything that goes around with it. But from a raw roster standpoint, Trey, to answer Daryl's first of the two questions, we'll get to the schedule part momentarily. I don't think there was much there that Hugh Freeze did to set up Liberty because it became obvious his focus was on Auburn. And when you bring in a new coaching staff anyway, you're going to have a major amount of roster turnover. That is almost an inevitability on an annual basis, but especially in the early going of a new coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue they didn't have a weak schedule when their strength of schedule was ranked worst in the country. It's like, but did they not have tough games? I think, well, I I think also it's not their fault that, let's say, you know, New Mexico State is a good kind of basic point. But let's, let's also break down their schedule of some of their bigger games probably got taken away because of the Conference USA. And also, they were supposed to have a contemporary in this conference in Western Kentucky that fell very flat this year. So I, I think that's that's part of it. And then also, like, at the end of the day, Jamie Chadwell just wins. He won, he's won everywhere he's been. And he's doing it again here at Liberty. So uh, it, it was kind of the perfect recipe. I think the other, you know, with... The other power or group of five schools, you know, not having a clear undefeated or one loss team and them being undefeated. Like, I think if they played in the Sun Belt, they're probably what? They're probably still 10 and 2. They play in the AAC, there might be like a three loss team. And that's just because the AAC is probably deeper. Um, but the Sun Belt, I mean, if they play in the Sun Belt, they probably win. I could see them winning the Sun Belt. I could see them winning the AAC as well. Um, so I, I think this is still a really good football team. It's just, yes, you know, sometimes you need to be lucky to get to where you're at, and, and that's what happened this year. That That's part of sports. I mean, uh, look at, you know, TCU got really lucky last year and they made the national championship. Like, you're not going to take that away from them. Um, you know, uh, Michigan had a weak schedule. They played two meaningful games all year. So, like, it just happens. You're right, Trey. I mean, this stuff happens, and here's the thing. I don't even dispute Daryl's point about the schedule being an issue or being a reality with the Liberty Flames. Like, that's obvious. They have, they, Bill Steele, when we had him on at the beginning of the year, mentioned he had Liberty as one of the easiest strength of schedules. When we had Bud Elliott of the Cover 3 podcast on at the ACC football kickoff, he echoed the same thing, that those could be things that played to Liberty's advantage. And it'll get a little bit tougher in the next couple of years. They'll add teams like Coastal and then Army before they start getting some more consistent presence with Power 5 teams and higher level G5 teams that pop onto the schedule, ironically and wonderfully enough, including James Madison. But that's not where Liberty is right now. So you can only play the schedule you're dealt. Trey, here's the other thing. For Liberty, the schedule's an obvious point. Because if there was a one-loss group of five team, I think it was pretty obvious based on how Tulane was ranked ahead of Liberty until the very end of the regular season. And 
at other times, you saw other teams that were ahead of Liberty or when Liberty wasn't ranked. Air Force of note before they petered out at the end of the year fit that category too. But if JMU's ball eligible, they might go over Liberty because they only have one loss. Liberty had zero losses and everyone else that was bowl eligible. If JMU was JMU. eligible for the Sun Belt title and could win the Sun Belt, that's correct, when it, correct. like eligible for the college because they technically became bowl eligible. Correct. And, 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 and by the way, here's another thing, and I think it's reasonable to say this. Assuming Kurt Signetti and JMU were bought in at the conference or at the Sun Belt Championship game because we've seen in prior years teams get late into the year, the coaching cycle Well, they would have played Troy, who would have been in the same situation. Yeah, with their coach, John Summerall, who eventually Ironically, going to Tulane. Tied it Tulane. all together. Yes, and very ironic, because Tulane's loss came when Willie Fritz had one foot out the door Heading. for Houston. Yep. So, I mean, you're going to get a lot of this. But Liberty had to be clear by two games, basically. Everybody that was eligible to challenge Liberty for that New Year's Six spot, Trey, was two losses or more. And at that point... Liberty had enough of a case because New Mexico State was good enough toward the end of the year, and Liberty clearly passed the eye test that they were worthy of making it into the playoffs. More feedback, by the way. We've gotten some on that. We've gotten some on the uh, ACC and Florida State being screwed out of the college football playoff, and even the outlook of Bill Belichick in New England and Tony Elliott at UVA. Those are all points that we will get to in a moment, if we're unable to connect with Ben Cates of newsadvance.com, that's still to come. This is the Fast Lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.